0: We started a series of messages called "Running with the Giants," and I think we got off to a great, great, a, a good start, a really good start. As a matter of fact, my daughter came up to me this week and she said, "Hey, I really like this new series." I was like, "Well, it's week one. You may want to hang on there before you say you like it too much." But uh, uh, she's like, "Oh, it's just very, very practical. I really like it." Um, but "Running with the Giants," and uh, let me give you a little bit of context for this series. Let me review just for a couple minutes for those of you that weren't here. Uh, Last week, and um, uh, basically, basically, it's like this: the Apostle Paul, who was a pivotal figure in the early church. I mean, he was one of the pillars of the faith. He wrote thirteen, if you include Hebrews, fourteen of the twenty-seven books in the in the New Testament. He 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 started uh, churches all over the Mediterranean world in his in his mission mission trips. His three mission trips, and one one thing that the Apostle Paul did. Of course, games and races were very big in this time. They had all kind of Olympic games and and all kind of uh, local games. That was always a part of society. And what Paul did, he he frequently used the analogy of running a race to exhort the Christians in the early church, to exhort all of the new Christians that were coming uh, to know Jesus and accepting Him as their Lord and Savior. And here's how the analogy goes. You know, in, in a race... In a race, you have to train, it takes determination, it takes focus, it takes endurance. And, uh, and he said, you know, just in that way, when we're running our race, all of us are running a race. All of us are going through life, and hopefully we're Christians, we're running the race for Christ, and he's, he's with us. And the thought is this, that just as you need determination, endurance, and discipline to run a physical race, or to compete in physical games, we need these same qualities in our Christian lives, and here's why. Because there's always obstacles in the way. There's always setbacks. There's always disappointments. And, and so, uh, you know, we're using this analogy for this series. And let me show you in a few places, and actually in four places, uh, Paul uses this analogy. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And so in other words, as we're pursuing God, as we're living life, don't go just to cross the finish line. Try, you know, do your very best. And, you know, I know know some Christians that are living totally defeated lives and what they say is, well, one day when I get to heaven, God will make everything good. But he wants to make everything good now. He wants to help you now. And so, you know, we're not wanting to just barely cross the finish line. We're wanting to run the race with excellence to get the prize. Uh, To win the most souls that we can. Galatians 5, 7, it says this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And so, how many of you have ever been running life and doing well, and and, and someone or something cuts in on you and prohibits you from getting where you need to get to? You know, all the distractions of life, all the things... You know, sometimes we let things that don't even matter in life cut in on us and keep us from following God and really pursuing him. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 7, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing just before he's beheaded. The Apostle Paul was was in prison, and he was beheaded right outside of Rome uh, in a place called uh, uh, Tre Fontaine. I've been there. It's a beautiful place. They actually built an abbey there. But he says this. So he's at the end of his life. he He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And so that's where we want to be one day when we're at the end of our life. We want to look back and not regretting the race we've run, but really excited and and, and humble that we've hopefully accomplished many of the things that God uh, put us here to accomplish. And our text this series comes from Hebrews 12.1, and it simply says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse tells us three things. First of all, there's a cloud of witnesses. There, there's great men and women who have gone before us who we can learn from their life and who can, who can encourage us along our way, just like you're running a race And there's always bystanders around encouraging you on. They don't want to get in the race and run it, but they're happy to cheer you on. Okay, so there's a cloud of witnesses. You know, think about all the men and women up in heaven right now that they want us to succeed. They want us to be successful. They want the church to grow. They want the church to influence uh, communities and culture. So that's the first thing. There's a cloud of witnesses. And it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think that's very, very interesting. We have to throw off the things that hinder us. Some things that hinder us aren't necessarily bad things. They just get in the way. So let us throw off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles. Now, some things hinder us. They get in our way. But some things tangle us. And, you know, sin, sin, when, we, when, when there's sin in our life and, and sin that we can't seem to, to win over... It's just kind of like it's like it's kind of like if you go to the uh, go to the beach and you get you get stung by a jellyfish. When you get stung by a jellyfish, when you get out of there, they have all these tentacles. They normally don't just get you with one, like they're just the whole thing. And sometimes they go across both legs or all across your body. And that's what that's what happens, you know. Sin it entangles us, it ensnares us, it traps us. And it says, "Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us." Now, here's the good thing. You don't have to design your race. All you have to do is connect with God, pray, listen to Him, because He has already marked out the race for you. He knew where you would be today. He knew where you'd be five years ago. He'll know, he knows where you're going to be in a year. And all we have to do is, is get in touch with God and be sensitive to Him and, and allow Him to speak into our lives. But, but that's the great thing. You don't have to come up with all the answers. All we have to do is trust God and connect with him uh, to to find out where exactly he wants us to go. And so as I was preparing for this series, I started, I was studying, and I had a thought. I had a thought, and here's the thought. What if some of these spiritual giants, the the, the cloud of witnesses, uh, what if they came down and joined us on part of the race we're running? What if they came down and ran with us for one day, uh, you know, a couple miles or whatever, what if they could come down and run with us for a little bit, I wonder what words of encouragement they would give us. Because I believe this. I don't believe they would be there to scold us. I don't believe they would be there to say, oh, you should do better, you know. I don't think they would browbeat us with the Bible. I think they would share from their life what they learned and give us some words of encouragement that they learned when they were running their race. And so this is what we're doing. We're just taking some of the characters of the Bible. If they came down and ran a race with us for a while, if they ran side by side, what words of encouragement would they get, would they give to us? And last week we started with Noah. And Noah would tell us this, I believe, that one person can make a difference. Remember that Noah was one person that was righteous, was blameless, was pure before God. And God used him to save his family and and you know to, to repopulate the earth. And because Noah was righteous. He did the right things. What, what we learn is one person, Noah, made a difference for his family. He made a difference for God. He made a difference for creation. And today, today we have we have a, a woman joining us from the cloud of witnesses. And it's a beautiful woman. She's opulently dressed, and her clothes are vibrant and appear to be made of the finest silk. Uh, she, she's wearing just beautiful jewelry. And, and she has a crown that's just studded with diamonds and precious gems. And, but she has a grace and elegance about her that lead us to believe that she's royalty. You know, and as she gets closer, we notice that, wow, that she's just, she's striking. She's, you know, just breathtakingly gorgeous, but in a different way. You know, today everything is sexualized and, and so many people, ladies, celebrities, whatever, flaunt themselves. It's, it's not that she's just... She's just beautifully adorned. She, she's just absolutely beautiful. And she, she comes along beside us and begins to run with us stride for stride. And she looks at us and she says, you know, I have to tell you something very important. And we look at her and she says, you were born for such a time as this. And, of course, we know that that's Esther. Esther is running beside us. And so Esther, I believe that she could come down and run with us for a little bit. Uh, she would say that you, everyone would say I, was born for such a time as this. We were born for today. God put us here. We were born to make to make a difference. Um, you know, the, so the complete story of Esther, of course, is found in the book of Esther. And I encourage you to read it, uh, the great Old Testament book. But this morning, I, you know, we don't have time to read every all the chapters, of course. So I'm going to give you the highlights and tell you the story. Uh, so that you have a little bit of a background. So first of all, we know that, um, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they conquered Judah in 586 B.C. and carried the Israelites from Judah, carried them to Babylon. And um, this is known as the exile, the Babylonian exile. And, uh, and, and so as time went by, a few years later, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. So now the Israelites that were in exile, they're still living there, but instead of Babylonian rule, it's now Persian rule. The remnant was still there. And of course, you know, a few years later, a Persian king named Cyrus issues a decree that lets all the Israelites that want to go return to Jerusalem, and, and he helps them with the rebuilding, uh, you know, of, of, of the temple. So at this time in Esther's life, there's a Persian king named Xerxes, Xerxes or Artaxerxes, and uh, in the third year of his reign, he had a 180-day celebration, and uh, what, let me tell you, this 180-day celebration, what it was is it was the height of arrogance, pride, and, and basically self-endowment. He, uh, he had all the people from all over the world come to visit his kingdom to see how rich he was, how wealthy he was, how great his kingdom was. So it's a 180-day celebration of people from all over. He, he was in charge of 127 provinces. So all the different leaders came in just so he could show them why they were in servitude to him, just so he could show them how great that he was. Well, at the end of the 180-day celebration, he has a seven-day feast, basically a seven-day uh, drunken hysteria on the last day of the banquet on the last day he orders uh, King Xerxes he or, he orders he gives a command that his queen who was having a different uh, banquet uh, Queen Vashti he ordered he gave the command he sent people to pick her up he wanted to bring her into his banquet so he could show all the leaders all the men there how beautiful she was well there was a problem that she just didn't really feel obliged to come. And there's another problem that back in these days, the king was the king, was the king right? The king was the, the, the top dog, and it was, it was not a democracy. It was, you know, it was a dictatorship. And so because she would not uh, come into his presence, she would not oblige him. Uh, she got shown the door, and she's banished, never to see the king again. And this sets off a series of events for what I call the biggest beauty contest in the world. They go all over these 127 provinces, all over the Persian Empire, to find the most beautiful girls that there were, bring them to the king, and to spend time with him, and whoever he was, felt the most compatible with, or whoever he had the most favor with him, that would become his queen. And so there's a little, a little Jewish girl, Esther, who, who's living there. Esther's actually living with her cousin Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai was really, even though he was her cousin, he really acted like her father. Uh, Esther was an orphan. Her mother and father had died. And, and Esther was just just had incredible natural beauty. And they saw her. They did not know she was Jewish. She had not uh, given that information. They see her, and they bring her. So she's in with hundreds of people, hundreds of other ladies, you know in this in this i guess uh, not so much of a competition but in running to be you know to be the next queen of persia and to make a long story short uh, esther is selected to be the next queen of persia and god because god gave her favor with king xerxes now let me tell you another part of the story it's very important as time went by a guy named haman haman became really high up in in king xerxes uh, power structure, and as he was elevated, he wanted people to know that he was elevated. And when he would come walking out of the king's palace and the king's chambers and, and leave the palace area, Esther's cousin Mordecai was there, and he wouldn't bow down to him. And that really, really bothered Haman. That day, it says day after day, Haman would come by him. Everyone's bowing, everyone's showing him honor, and Mordecai is like, "Man, you're just another guy." You know, I'm not bowing down to you, and so Haman found out about Mordecai and found out that he was a Jew, and so Haman had this this royal edict written up that on a certain day there would be an annihilation of all the Jews and in in, all the remnant Jews in the in the land of Persia, and uh, and he got he got the king to sign it. So this is happening. This is going to happen on a certain day. They they put money in the treasury to pay people to carry this thing out. This thing is gonna happen. The Jews are gonna be wiped out. Well, Mordecai finds out about it, and of course he he sends people to Queen Vashti. He just can't go see her. I'm sorry to Queen Esther, and he tells her, "Hey, there's a plot to kill your people. You alone have the power to change it." And uh, you know Esther said, "Well, there's there's a problem. The problem is." The king is in isolation right now in his chambers. He's been there for 30 days. And the only way you can go in there, if you go in there without being asked, it can be a death sentence. He has the golden scepter behind his by, his by his throne, I guess. And if he holds the gold scepter out to you, you live. And if he doesn't, you die. And, and so she sends that message to Mordecai. And Mordecai sends it back says, listen don't you think that you're in this position just because of who you are you're in this position because god put you in this position for such a time as this you're the one who can ha- has the influence in your new position to save you know uh to save the the jewish the jewish people and uh you know so uh Let's read Esther, Esther 4, 15 through 16. This is what she replied to Mordecai whenever he told her about this. Uh, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king and even even though it is against the law and if I perish, I perish. So that was that was the conclusion. Of course, Esther she interrupts the the king. She goes in there. uh, The king sees her, and he holds out the golden scepter. You know, we're not sure we're not sure exactly why he did. Uh, You know, Veggie tells uh, told the story that he did not want to have to go through that whole beauty contest again. You know, I banished one queen. You know, so that that's one thought. But God God gave her favor. All these Jews were fasting and praying so that she would have favor with the king. So we, we see the importance of fasting and prayer. And, and so think about this. We're, we're made for such a time as this. We were born, we were put here for such a time as this. And uh, But prayer and fasting is certainly very, very important. So Esther took action. Now let, let's go through this, Esther's life, real quick and see if we can learn some practical things for our, our, our life. I think the first thing that Esther realized was this. And the first thing... Esther would tell us when she's running with us is this, is that Esther realized that her privileges were not for her pleasure. Her privileges were not for her pleasures. Now, I want to say, hey, here in America, we have so many privileges, and I know I hear people complaining all the time about our country, this and that and all this, and I agree it's not perfect. There's no country that's perfect. We have wrongs, we have injustices, But the freedoms that we have are incredible as you travel the world. The things that we have, and I I think that the American church, I think that we've started to take that our privilege is for our own pleasure. While there's Christians around the world every day being executed, there's Christians every day being thrown in jail, there's Christians every day around the world who don't have enough to eat, who are really, really difficult. So the privileges we have are not for our pleasure. They're spo- supposed to be used to help other people. So God did not place Esther in the palace for her own personal pleasure. He placed her in the palace for a purpose, to save her people, to use her newfound influence to make a difference. And I believe Esther would encourage all of us if we were running with her, I believe she would encourage us to look beyond ourselves, beyond what we can get out of life, and what we can do to affect change through our lives, with God helping us. What can we do? We have to get out of ourselves. We have to develop a big-picture mentality. We have to begin to see all the opportunities around us, areas that we can make a difference in. You know, sometimes we're just going through life, and everything is focused on us. And, you know, perhaps Esther was that way too, with all of her newfound uh, luxuries. But a day came when... Her eyes were open when, the, when Mordecai, or her cousin, talked to her. Uh, you know, all this, all this stuff came up and, and she realized that she was not put in the palace just to have the life of luxury. She was put in the palace to help influence the king to save her people. And I believe Esther would give us some, some signs of warning. I think Esther would say this, first of all, that privilege can lead to complacency. Privilege can lead to complacency, and, you know, sometimes as Christians, you know, when we come to Christ, it's out of need because we're in trouble. And then God starts to bless us, and sometimes He's blessing us so much, but we forget that we come into contact with people every day who need help. They come in contact with people every day who have marriages are struggling, you know, they're going bankrupt, they have someone that's sick in their family, and so, uh privilege can lead to complacency if we're not careful. Uh, see, I, I, think, I think that when we spend time with God, that's the best way for us not to allow privilege to turn into complacency. The second thing is this, she'd warn us that personal comfort can lead to idleness. Personal comfort can lead to idleness, idleness, not taking initiative to help others. But I think she'd also say this, that courage and initiative come when you understand your purpose in life. I mean, if you don't have a purpose in life, why do you need to take initiative? Why, you know, why do you need to have courage? Why do you need to have faith if if you're just existing every day? Winston Churchill, he said this in, in every age, there comes a time when a leader must come forward to meet the needs of the hour. Esther was the leader at that time who stepped forward uh, to provide. Uh, to, to meet the needs of that hour. So, you know, as Christians, we were placed here in this community. We we're placed here in America, and I believe for such a time as this, uh, to stand up for godly principles. And there is obviously, there is obviously a demonic force that is set against the church and spiritual values today. You know, and it's every if it's. Stuff's happening every day. I believe it was on Wednesday or Thursday. I was, I was, um, I was driving into church. It was early, um, and very early. And so I, I turned on the news, and there was a story. So there was a, in Arkansas, there was this, there was this pastor who was called to give a motivational team-building talk to a high school football team. Well, he had played at that high school. And the coach that was there today was his coach when he was playing. And so he, he, he went in there and, and, you know, he gave a talk on team building. And, and uh, he used one verse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He used one verse. And there, then there's an organization in Nebraska, which that happened in Arkansas. There's an organization in Nebraska. And the name of the organization is Freedom From Religion. So they are suing the pastor. For breaking the Constitution, how dare he use a piece of Scripture in a talk at a public setting? And so this pastor, there's, there's this lawyer who is defending Christian rights, and he called the pastor and said, hey, let's take it to court. This is ridiculous. We've got, we got to push back against this, or they're just going to keep walking over Christians. But the thought is today is, if we're honest, we're honest. And I'm not saying this so we feel sorry for ourselves. I'm saying this because it's time that we get a backbone. It's time that Christians get a backbone. And you can have a backbone in a nice way. You can have a backbone and love people. You can have a backbone and not say anything negative about people. <clears throat> but but the, the thought is this, and this is true. You can be any, basically any other religion. You can be atheist. You can be agnostic. You could be whatever, Muslim, Hindu. You can be whatever and that's okay, but if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're prejudiced. And what's funny is some of these other religions actually believe some of the same things the Bible does, but they don't mess them. There is an assault out on, on Christians. There's an assault on the Bible because it's God's truth. And if the devil can suppress the Bible, he can suppress a country or, <coughs> or a nation. So I, what, I, what I'm just trying to say is, that we're here for such a time as this. It's it's not time for the Christians in the church to shrink back. It's time to have confidence. We have the truth. We have the answer. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we need to be sensitive as we go forth during the week. How can we help? How can we pray, pray together? You know, when to stand, when to fight, so on and so forth. I think that Esther's words of encouragement that she would give us she would she would say this, you know, for a period of time, you may not always understand what God's purpose is for you. And th- that is so true. Sometimes we're going through life and we're in the position that God wants us to be in, but we yet, we don't get, we haven't heard from him what we're supposed to do in that position. And sometimes, sometimes that happens. Sometimes God moves us somewhere, and he doesn't right away tell us what the long-term goal is, and I think think about Esther. She gets thrown into this natu- national search for a new queen simply because she's beautiful. That was the only reason she got into that. They they weren't looking at character, they were looking at physical beauty. And then once they got to the king, he would determine character and so forth. But she never wanted the attention and certainly did not know that God had a purpose and a plan through this opportunity. She's just on this crazy ride, and Sometimes when you're, when you're with God, you just get on a crazy ride, and you don't know why the ride's taking you where it is, but it's always taking you where, you're going, where you end up for a specific reason. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, of course, she ends up as the queen, and so she goes from an exile living in, you know, Susa, in, in the Persian Empire, to queen. She goes from living a humble, quiet life, uh, to a life of extravagance that is played out in the public eye. You know, when when I when I think of Esther, everything that I've read about her, her personality profile would would not be necessarily to gain attention for herself. She had a, a quietness about her, a maturity about her, and so she goes from this quiet life as a simple person living in Mordecai's house to living in a palace with all the responsibilities and the public eye. I mean, it was it was a crazy, you know, a crazy thing. But And it had to be exciting. Uh, and the benefits that came with her new position had to be mind-boggling. I'm sure that Mordecai's house probably didn't match up too well with the palace. I'm sure the clothes that she wore, the food that she ate, the treatment uh, that she got was a little bit different. Um So she's just living her life, you know, not really thinking about God's destiny, his purpose, or fulfilling God's plan. And, you know, I think there was a time that she would say, I didn't even know that there was a plan. I just followed the doors that open." And and all of a sudden, her her cousin Mordecai, he comes. And he tells her about this plot to kill the Jews and tells her, that she has a responsibility to do something. You have, a because the first thing she said back to him was, well, I can't really do anything. The king is isolated. I can't go see him. I don't know when he'll get out. He's like, listen, you have to take a chance. You have to, to make a difference. And, you know, and, but I believe it awakened in her. I believe she realized that she was born for such a time as this, that God strategically put her there for such a time as this. And, Listen, church, we got to have a realization. We have to wake up. That We have to understand that we're here for such a time as we're here to build the kingdom of God. We're here to build the church. We're here to win souls. We're not here for our personal comfort. We're not here, you know, just to, to, to get the most that we can for ourselves. We should be here to get the most for the kingdom. You know, every person that, the only thing we're taking with us to heaven are souls or people. The people that we win, we're not taking cars, we're not taking any anything else, and so I think Esther had a had a epiphany. I was born for such a time as this. I have the ability to affect change. I have the ability to do something, and I believe Esther she begins to tell you to she begins to tell us that God has placed us in the position we're at to make a difference. And I, I just want to tell you, some of you are sitting there and you're, like, and you're thinking, I can't do anything in my position. Sure you can. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has influence. If, if whatever job you have, God has placed you on that job to make a difference. If you're a student, every time you walk the halls, every classroom you go to, I want you to understand there's kids in those classrooms who are going through divorce, who've had family members die, who feel rejected, who feel alone, you have the ability to affect change. You have the ability to make a difference in people's lives. And God places in this community to be a voice for him. Uh, You know, God brought you into your family to help complete the family, to help build up the family. So mothers, fathers, kids, you have the ability to make a difference in, in your family. You know, and, and many of you are members here at Family Life, and, and God brought you to, can I be honest with you, God brought you to Family Life to make a difference. Anytime God takes you to a local church, you're know, like, this is my church home, God brought you to that church to make a difference. He brought you to that church to be actively involved, to serve, to give, and, and be involved in things. God never brings you to a church to call home, to sit on the back row and come whenever it's convenient. I, I'm just... My name's Terry. I'm not politically correct. We're going to have fun, okay? But isn't isn't that the truth? We have millions of Christians that are attending church today. They're not going to do anything in that church. They're not going to help in that church. They're not going to give any money to that church. They're not going to participate in that church. Listen, we're born to make a difference. Find a church that you agree with, that you like, and and just plant yourself in them to start serving and giving and making a difference. And so, you know, all the families that have been been affected and helped uh, through this church— it's because we have people out in the parking lot, parking cars, people at doors greeting. Right now we have probably 20, 25 people back there teaching your children. If you have kids back there, they're being loved on and they're learning principles of God's word. You know, all this makes, it makes a difference. You know, so God has placed us in this country, I believe. I believe that God has placed the church and individual Christians in this country to affect cultural change. The greatest problem in America today it's, it's not even close. The greatest problem is that the church is not impacting culture anymore. It used to, but it has ceased because in many places, the church, inside the church, isn't different from outside the church. we got to be different. God has called us to be different. He's called us to stand up. He's called us to be light in darkness. He's called us to be, you know, to be a dif- the difference maker. So sometimes... We're just going through life when we don't realize that that when we have a promotion, when we move into a neighborhood, when we start a new school, we don't realize that we actually have a purpose and a plan and a destiny for God. But we do. And I believe she would tell us this. When you realize God's purpose for your life, you feel empowered. I believe, you know, at first I believe Esther was scared. She was nervous. But I believe that she fasted and prayed. I believe that she gained courage and faith. And I I believe she would tell us when you understand what your purpose and destiny is, it makes a difference. It it, it just, it makes a difference. It empowers you. And, you know, I believe she would just say when, you know, my Uncle Mordecai explained the situation to me, you know, at first I was very scared. As I prayed and decided to take action, my resolve strengthened. You know, when we know. Okay, this isn't technically technically correct, but let me... Do you know that all of you have a knower? You have an expector. We talked about that before. And you have a knower. Your your spiritual knower is when you're reading the Word or you're praying and God specifically speaks something to your heart that you know 100% sure is true, that it's truth, that it's, it's His truth for you. It's His rhema word for you, a word from God. For you. So when you know in your knower, in your spirit, when it's confirmed in your spirit what you're supposed to do, I believe it empowers you to be able to do things and persevere and, and just press on even when it gets tough. It, it, strengthens you, it, it strengthens your resolve. You feel empowered. And then I think Esther would say this that taking a risk is easier when you know God is in control. See, there's a lot of risk in life. Like, there's a lot of risk in life, and like, you know, if you put money in the stock market, <laughs> all of you that put money in the stock market, say, oh, man. There's good weeks and bad weeks. There's some risk involved, right? Because a company that, you know, could go under or so on, so, so the, the, there, there's risk in life. But when God tells us to do something, when we understand what he wants us to do, and let me make it real clear. There's, there's several things that God wants all of us to do. He wants us to love people. All people. He wants us to love people. He wants us to treat people well. He wants us to spread his love. You can know that right now. God always wants us to do those things. But when we, when we, when we step out and do things that have some risk in the natural realm for God, and we know that he's asked us to do it, you know, it, 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 it's really not a risk. Because God controls everything, and I believe Esther underst- understood that. I believe that she realized that. Okay, God. First of all, God gave me this position, and no one can take it away unless, if God wants them to, and and, and uh, you know. So I just trust that God's gonna give me wisdom and direction to complete the task. And uh, very very important. You know, I I, I believe as. As Esther tells us this thing, you know, I, I believe as, as our time with Esther, you know, comes to an end, but as we continue running, because we're on a race, we're still running, I believe her words of encouragement can penetrate our hearts and cause us to think differently. Do you ever think to yourself, I need to think differently? I need to see things differently? I mean, because our natural eyes are limited. But when we have the eyes of God and in the heart of God, and I, I mean, we we can see things differently. I, I I truly believe this. If we spent time, any amount of time with any of the great men and women of the Bible, I believe that we would we would see things differently. That's what I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, you know convey as, as 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 best I can. But I believe as we're running, her words of encouragement would cause us to think differently. And I think what it, would, what it would cause to do is this, is if we spent time with Esther, is that God has placed us right, right where we are in life for a definite purpose. We were born for such a time as this. And sometimes in life, we're so worried about getting to the next phase or the next season that we don't take advantage of the season we're in. Uh, yeah, I, rem- I remember when I was young, you know, and and uh, you know, I can't wait to be 16. I can't wait to drive. I can't, I can't wait till I get out of the house. Some of you are there right now. Some parents are there too. I, I can't wait either. You know. Hey, kids, don't realize it's a two-way street, huh? But you know, you always want to. I can't wait till I get out of college. I can't wait till I get my first job. I can't wait. You know, after a while, I'm thinking, I'm not. Look, you know, I'm just finding my season right now. Before long, you run out of seasons which is ultimately good because you get to go live with heaven. But anyway, just, just a thought. But, I, I, you know, I, I think we have to understand that where we are right now, where you are right now, God has placed you there. It doesn't matter if you like your job or not. It doesn't matter if you're in a bad. God has placed you there to affect change. You were born for such a time as this. When God sees fit to move you to a different season, a different job, a different place, he'll have something new. For, for you to do there. If we keep looking down the road, we'll never accomplish what He wants us to do today. Are, are, you, are you with me? I'm, I'm trying to trying to encourage you. So, I believe God has strategically placed all of us, every one of us, in a position to affect change and influence people. You know, as I, as I talk with Christians today, and listen, I know there are some bad things out there. There are some just pure evil out there. And I, I know that we need to be careful and watch over our families and all that, I'm, so I'm saying that. But some Christians have some Christians have the bunker down mentality. The isolation. You know, if they're, when they're, every time there's going to be a bad storm in Houston, what do they tell you? To hunker down. Get food, water, stay in your house, don't go anywhere. Isolate yourself. Dangerous coming. Some Christians have that view. And you know, while we need to be careful and we need to be diligent, I don't think now is the time for us to, to cower down. I don't think now is the time for us to go into bunker and, 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 and batten down the hatches when there's still a bunch of people out there that need help. In Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, it, sa- it says this. It says that you are the salt of the earth, that the salt loses its saltiness, I want. I want to finish up with a story today. So whenever I, when Trace and I were living in La, in, in Lafayette, and, and I was youth pastoring there, uh, we we met this we met this couple, and um, of course our next our next door neighbors. We met them, and and they weren't really going to church anywhere, so they started coming to church at Family Life there in Lafayette, and then we got introduced to. Uh, I think his sister-in-law and their family, and they lived right around the corner. So all these people, you know, started coming to our church. They gave their lives to the Lord, and uh, they were just really, really growing. Well, after I moved here, I I realized that um, that this one couple they couldn't have any kids, so they adopted all these kids, and uh, I think they adopted seven seven boys and girls, and just awesome had a had a big beautiful family and. And so I talked to, to Todd Menard one day and said, hey, how are they doing? He's like, oh, they don't, they don't come to church anymore. I'm like, well, why, why not? He said, uh, well, you know, last time I talked to him, they said that all they wanted to do was move their family out in the country and they just wanted to raise their kids to love Jesus. Okay. And, uh, I mean, seriously, they started a farm and they, they were self-sufficient and all this kind of stuff. And... Um, and, you know, didn't need church, didn't want to go to church, just living, teaching their kids Jesus. Well, the problem with that is their kids did grow up to love Jesus. But they didn't have any word to reach out to people. And so two years ago they started going back to family life there and he, they came and he, he told Todd, listen, not, I, we, we made we made a big mistake. You know, we raised our kids out there and they have, they're lacking social skills because they weren't around other kids. I mean, they isolated themselves. Homeschool, they, you know, all just on their farm thing. And he said, we made a, a big mistake. So, man, he brought his family back to church, get these kids involved in church. And, and, uh, but, see, that my, my point is this, is that it's never just about us teaching. It's not just about us. It has to always be about reaching others others and I, so I believe God has placed us, He we're born for such a time as this and it's not just about us experiencing Jesus and his power in our life, it is about that but it's about sharing that and influencing and, and influencing others you know I believe that Esther I believe that Esther reveals to us a prophetic vision really as we spend time with her that The prophetic vision is this, is that you and I have a definite plan and purpose and God put us right where we are for a specific purpose. And here's the thing, God's vision always helps other people. God's vision always helps other other people. It's never self-centered. So I think it's not the time to hide. It's not the time for complacency. I believe it's time to seek God's purpose in our lives right where we are What I want to close with this thought. What can we, what can I do to affect spiritual change in our families, in our communities, in our church, in our country? Last week Noah taught us that one person can make a difference, and I believe today Esther puts the spotlight directly on us that we were born to have a significance. We were born to to make a difference. Would you stand with me this morning? Can we sing that chorus through? Hey, as 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 we begin to worship, just just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning.
1: Your prayer.
0: You know, church, as we're, as we're, as I was talking this morning, as we're talking about what Esther, how she may encourage us, you know, maybe there's many of you who you've been so busy with your own life, you've never thought, I was born for such a time as this and, you know, what is, what, it, how can I affect change in my life? If, if you just, if God just placed this on your heart just to awaken his purpose and plan for your life and just to show you how you can make a greater difference in the lives of other people today, would you just raise your hands to the Lord? I'm just going to pray that God would just speak to you, give you clear vision and wisdom. God, right now we come before you, Lord. God, we declare that we were born for a purpose. God, you placed us right where we are at this time in this building for a purpose. You knew it from the foundations of the earth. So right now, God, I just pray you're releasing a sense of purpose. You're releasing a sense of destiny in the lives of your people today. Lord, I pray just as Esther woke up that day and she realized that she could do something, that she had a purpose, that God had placed her there and given her influence to do something. God, God, I just pray that you're awakening our purpose within us, God. and Just like Esther, that we would have significance in our lives, God, that we would be able to effectively help people, God. That we would build the kingdom of God. That, Lord, we would spiritually be significant in our day, in our country, in our communities, in our families, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank.